second reading comes from 1 John chapter 5 and it's verses 6 to 21. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God had given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the assurance we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know, who, know him who is true even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you uh, this morning, to be able to share the word of the Lord uh, with you. Let's pray to begin. Uh, Lord, please be working in our hearts and our minds to teach us what you want us to be taught from your word today. May we glorify you more in our thoughts, words, and actions as a direct result of what we're going to hear today. Lord. Amen. Uh, I go to Macquarie University, and most of my friends at um, uni are Muslim, just happen to be Muslim. Um, and so this means I get to have some really great discussions uh, about faith and about Jesus. And about a year ago, I was having one of these late-night discussions after we'd done doing an assignment at the university library. Um, and my friend asked me how I could be so sure that I was saved. You see, in Islam, it's uncertain. 
Uh, there's no assurance. My friends say that they hope and they pray that Allah will be merciful to them. But it's not 100% sure. Um, now, obviously, that question gave me an awesome opportunity to uh, share the good news about Jesus with him and the good news that because what Jesus has done for us, when God looks at us in that final day, he will, he will see Jesus, not us, and not our sin. But it's a good question, isn't it? And it's a question we're hopefully going to answer today as we finish off looking at um, 1 John. How can we be so sure that we are saved, and how does that assurance affect our lives. So please have your Bibles open as we look through this, or it might be on the screen, I'm hoping, behind me as we go through. Um, I I want to put it to you that John's main purpose of this letter of 1 John is to give his readers assurance of eternal life. Look at verse 13 with me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, these things he's talking about in that f- the first part of the verse there, these things, John's likely referring to the whole letter coming before this. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and up to this point in 5. I write all these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's John's goal. So how does John get to that point of assurance in verse 13? Um, Firstly, we have to remember the context that John is writing in. He's writing in the context of people in the church claiming that Jesus is not the Christ, claiming all these weird and wacky things about Jesus. Some were even claiming that he didn't rise from the dead. He was just kind of a spirit form after that. And remember, early in the book, he's talking about false teachers. So he's writing to a church that he's troubled by these false teachings. Um, There'd be people in that church uh, without assurance because of that teaching. They'd be confused. They'd be unsure what to believe about Jesus, his divinity, and what he has done. So keep that context in your mind. And to refute those false teachers, John says that we have seen God himself testify to who Jesus is. We have seen God testify to Jesus. That's how we know the claims about Jesus are true. So read with me from verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. There are three instances where God testifies to Jesus. Water, blood, and Spirit. John is saying that the coming of Jesus to this world was marked by the water of Jesus' baptism and the blood of Jesus' death on the cross. And in those two moments, in the Gospels, we see God audibly testifying to Jesus. So let's start with the first one, water, the water of baptism. Have a look, if you have it with you, or I'll read it out, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, that's Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And then in the Synoptic Gospels, the other three Gospels, it records that God himself audibly testifies to Jesus at Jesus' baptism. Uh, Matthew's gospel records it like this. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God himself testifies to Jesus at his baptism. That's the testimony of the water. The next one, the blood. Have a look at John's gospel, if you've got it open, or I'll read it out. Uh, chapter 12, starting at verse 23. Now, what's happening here, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the last time before his death, and he's predicting what's going to happen to him. John 12, starting at verse 23, says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoke to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. God testifies to Jesus again audibly as Jesus predicts his death when he's returning to Jerusalem for the last time. And then on the cross, God testifies to Jesus again. When he dies, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. In Matthew's gospel, we read about how the sky went dark for hours, that people were raised from the dead, graves broke open. God testifies to Jesus through his death and blood on the cross. Now, lastly, that's the water, the blood. Now we've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, testifies to Jesus. Remember in that account of Jesus' baptism in John, it descended visibly like a dove, and the Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts the truth of who Jesus is. If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and he testifies in your hearts and your minds that who Jesus says he is is the truth. John is saying that we can have confidence about Jesus because God himself testifies to Jesus. And John is saying, we have seen him do it, right? We have seen him do it. John's, at a, John's there. He's with the apostles. They saw God do these things. The spirit, the water, and the blood testify that Jesus is the Christ, the salvation of the world. So John then goes on. He's laid the foundation of God testifying to Jesus in those three instances. And then he summarizes what that testimony actually is. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We can have assurance that Jesus is the Christ because God has testified to him, and God's testimony is that whoever believes in Jesus as the Christ and who he is will have eternal life. That's how we know we have assurance. God himself has testified to who Jesus is. 
And we believe in that testimony. And because of that belief, the testimony of God is that we have assurance of eternal life. So let's read verses 11 to 13 so we can kind of see that flow all the way into 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life? Are you certain of it? Well, John's saying if you believe in the name of the Son of God and in Jesus as God's chosen one, then you should know that. And you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, because God himself has testified to him being that. Now, like in verse 9 here, how John says, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because this is the testimony of God. Now, that seems pretty obvious to me when I read that. But what John's saying is, yes, there are lots of people that saw Jesus and heard what Jesus said, and we now have that written. But we've got something better than that. It's not just what Jesus said. God himself testified to Jesus. And unsurprisingly, God's testimony is better than human testimony. Uh, last Friday was our last, not the one just went, the one before that, was our last um, night of youth group for the year. So as a celebration, um, we set up a big slip and slide out the back of the rectory. Uh, it was a bit crazy, but loads of fun. Now, while I was at the slip and slide standing next to it, we had kind of cheap detergent from Woolies that we were applying to um, make it slippery, of course. Um, I had a year seven boy. He came up to me. Um, he stood next to me and he kind of surveyed the slide, I guess. He kind of looked at the top looked at the bottom, I'm sure he probably noticed the thorns behind the barrier that we'd um, erected and then probably Pew's Lagoon, the mud of Pew's Lagoon behind it. He looks at it and he looks at me and he says, I'm not scared. And I said to him, are you sure? And he kind of thinks about that question. He looks at the slide again, top bottom, sees kind of the makeshift barrier at the bottom, sees the thorns, looks at me and says, yeah, I'm sure. I'll show you. And he proceeds to jump on the slide with a little um, donut, blow-up donut thing and flies all the way down to the bottom, um, smashing into the barrier that we'd erected at the bottom with blow-up mattresses. Um, now, that year seven boy's lack of fear led him to jump straight on the slide and go down to the bottom. Now, if he had refused to actually get on the slide, I would have probably been a bit suspicious about his claim that he was not scared. What we know and what we feel and what we claim will lead to changes in our actions. If we really have assurance that we have eternal life, John says that that confidence in salvation will overflow into our life. It will overflow into our actions and our attitudes. That we will not only claim to have assurance, but we're going to show it too. And there are three main ways that John talks about here, how we show and how we demonstrate that we have assurance. The first is prayer. The second is not continuing to sin. And the third is keeping ourselves from idols. So look at verse 14 with me. We're going to look at prayer first. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. We are so sure that Jesus is the Christ and that God has testified to who Jesus is and we're so sure that we have eternal life that we can confidently, not timidly, 
confidently approach God and know that he will answer our prayers. We can have confidence that God will answer our prayers in the affirmative with a yes, if we ask for anything in line with God's will. And I, I find that's kind of a pretty remarkable thing about being a Christian, that God ordains the prayers of broken, sinful people to enact his perfect will. I find that pretty cool and pretty daunting. But John says we can do that confidently because of this assurance. Any requests brought to God in line with his will will be answered with a yes. Do you have confidence in that? When you pray, do you expect to know that God's going to answer those prayers? Are you reading your Bible so you know what God's will is? How can you pray for something that aligns with God's will if you don't know what God's will is? We can have confidence in prayer. Now, there's one thing that we know is God's will, and that is that it's God's will to forgive the sins of his people. Now, we see that all throughout um, the Old Testament, reminded of Sodom and Gomorrah, where they plead with God, like 10, 20, 30, if anyone there is holy, save them. And God says, sure. Now, unfortunately, there was no one. But God wants to forgive. And we just talked about how if anything is prayed according to God's will, it'll be granted. We'll see in verse 16. It says that if anyone sees a brother commit a sin, he should pray, and God will give him life. Our assurance in Jesus and eternal life will overflow in how we approach God in prayer. With confidence and assurance, he will answer our prayers where they align with his will. And if we see a brother or sister in Christ, who's part of God's people, sinning, we should pray and God will give them life. That's the confidence we can have. So that's the first thing, confidence in prayer. The second thing, the, our assurance of our salvation will give us the confidence to not continue to sin. So look at verse 18 with me. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God and keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We cannot say we are born of God and continue to sin. We cannot say we are born of God yet continue to sin. I think that word continue is super important. Um, we will not continue to be okay with our sin. We will hate our sin instead. And I think it's important to note that this isn't saying that sinning and being born of God is an impossibility, because I think everyone in this room would be pretty disappointed at that. I certainly would be, because then I could, couldn't say I was born of God. It's not saying it's an impossibility, because none of us could then say we were born of God. It's not saying that anyone who ever sins can't have assurance of their salvation. It's saying that anyone who continues to keep on sinning, knowing they're doing the wrong thing, with no regret, no remorse, and putting nothing in place to stop that, that person cannot be born of God. Their heart is not aligned with who God is. This is a command, it's not an impossibility. A command that as people born of God, with assurance in Jesus, we do not continue to sin. Now, we're not on our own here, which is really great. Um, we have help. Being born of God, as it says, having assurance of our salvation means that the evil one cannot touch us. Do you see that? Satan does not have any power over us unless we let him. Refuge from sin in Jesus is more than just forgiveness. It's more than just Jesus taking our place. It's actually an active component where the evil one is being kept at bay. 
We are not merely forgiven. We have assurance that Satan cannot harm us and that we have the confidence to say no to sin and to not continue to do it. Now, as an aside to this, um, I think it's important to chat about what John is talking about when he talks about the sin that does lead to death, because when you read through this, that kind of stands out at you, right, that sin. Um, The sin that John is talking about there is the sin of knowing the truth of Jesus and willingly rejecting that Jesus is the Christ and not believing. Once someone genuinely and fully recognizes what it means to be a Christian in all its fullness and looks at that and thinks about it and then consciously walks the other way, that is the sin that leads to death. It's a conscious denial, if you like, a heart unwilling to respond in faith to the gospel. The sin that leads to death is the sin of knowing the truth about Jesus and rejecting it anyway. Now, John says that here, that he is not saying that we should pray for these people. But it's important to remember that John is not telling us who not to pray for. John is telling us who we should pray for. John is not telling us who not to pray for. John is telling us who to pray for. So in this letter, in this specific circumstance that John was writing into, in this time he said, I'm not telling you to pray for that now. These are the things you should be praying for. So don't let that kind of controversy, I think, overtake what the point is here, that we should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are stumbling in sin. So that's the second thing. Having assurance means that we will not continue to sin. Lastly, assurance in Jesus as the Christ and assurance of our eternal life, sorry, assurance of our eternal life leads us to reject idols. In verse 21, right at the end of the book, John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, as you kind of read this letter, this last verse seems to kind of just be randomly added in there. When I've read it a few times this week, it's kind of like, John, was there meant to be another paragraph here? What are you doing? You've kind of just added this first sentence. But as I thought about it more, I think John might be summing up the whole of the letter that's come before it. It actually makes sense when you think about it. It's not just randomly put in there. Remembering the context of this letter, there are false teachers and there are people that are denying the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And perhaps John is saying anyone not proclaiming and testifying that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus did what he said he did, anyone doing that is merely following an idol. They're merely following an idea of God that they have manufactured in their own mind, that God doesn't exist. It's completely divorced from reality. So in light of all you've read in this letter, John's saying, everything you've read, that God testifies to Jesus being the Christ, John finishes his letter by saying, keep yourselves from idols. Know that Jesus is the Christ. Have assurance of eternal life. Don't embrace a false God or a false idea of the true God. Um, We can only have a real relationship with a God who's there. We can only have a real relationship with a God who's actually there. So in your life, whether idolatry manifests obviously like it did for the um, Israelites in the Old Testament, praying to a golden calf, for most of you, I don't think that's the case. I'd be surprised, and I really hope it's not the case. But I think for a lot of us, it kind of manifests subtly in our lives. It's prioritizing things where God should be, putting them above God, whether that's career or family or money sport, whatever it is in your life that you're putting in God's place, don't, John is saying. In light of all we've read that God testifies who Jesus is, we can have assurance that who he says he is is true, 
Don't put other things in his place. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols and cling to who Jesus really is. Cling to the Jesus that God himself testified to. And John says if you do this, you can have assurance of eternal life. John has written this letter so that we who believe in the name of the Son of God know that we have eternal life. We can have assurance of that because we know that God himself testifies to Jesus, being the Christ, through water, the baptism, blood, Jesus' death on the cross, and the Holy Spirit. And that assurance that we have of all those things will overflow into our lives. We're going to have the confidence to approach God in prayer. We're going to have the confidence to not continue to sin. And we're going to have the confidence to say no to idolatry and to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us. Uh, Lord, we were really helpless without Jesus coming to us. Thank you so much for sending him. And thank you for that gift of grace. It's not something that we can do, but it's something that's freely given to us, Lord. Please give us the reassurance, assure us, Make us know in our hearts and our minds that we have eternal life, Lord. And let that assurance in our lives overflow into our actions, our attitudes, the things we do and say, Lord. Let us have the confidence to approach you in prayer. Let us have the confidence to say no to sin, spur us in holiness, and keep us from idols, Lord. Put, it, put out the Holy Spirit in our hearts and get that Holy Spirit to tell us to say no to idols, to put you first. Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.